the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant, Holy Land, and I am here as always with Jordan Williams. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's It's been a busy, busy week. Busy week for life, not busy week for Ohio State or football in general. Uh, we've been uh, stretching out this realignment news because it has been such a slow week. So I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing good. You know, I, I told you before the show, it's like the, sh- like the longest short week ever. Don't know why. It's just one of those. It's like it's Thursday already, but it feels like it's taking forever to get here. Uh, but yeah, looking at this week, it was nice to finally not have some sort of bombshell news. You know, we keep seeing the sources here are saying, "Ooh, Ohio State's going to move without no." So we're we're not going to talk about that today. I feel like the podcast landscape has really eaten that kind of up the last eight days or since we recorded last Thursday, uh, so seven days, but it's been crazy. I know, like, if we were a Pac-12 or Big 12 podcast, our next conversation would be like, oh, who's going to absorb who? But we're not that. We're an Ohio State podcast. So we're going to we're gonna stick to Ohio State for much of the first half. Uh, we're going to go through some what-if questions that were asked this week, a lot of fun. And then we are going to preview the Pac-12 conference because uh, that was just on the schedule. So looking into this show plan, it's going to be a lot of fun today. Last week we went in-depth with the ACC. Uh, this week we're going into like, – we're going to do our best with Pac-12. It's not the same. I think there's a lot more structure to the ACC's pecking order. Pac-12, random. But as always, I think – we know what everyone wants to hear about during this time of year. It's recruiting time. It still is. It's July. Like we said last month, it is decision month for a lot of players. Uh, now and until the end of August, we're going to start seeing a lot of players making decisions. So let's look at some of the things we saw talked about this week. All right, I want to get started with the defensive line recruiting because I think – for an Ohio State podcast, I think we've been two of the harder hosts on Larry Johnson, especially of late. And we gave him a lot of credit for getting JT to Amaleu, and we gave him a lot of credit for Jack Sawyer. But, you know, we need to see some development here. And, you know, last this last class was pretty good as well. Uh, this class is coming up, and you know, getting to this point, it doesn't feel like there's much in it so far. And I think We've seen Larry become a late closer. So looking at this week, it finally seemed like there was some good news coming out. And we started seeing some predictions for Jason Moore out of the Bath Catholic, which is where I want to start because that's Chase Young's former school. I know I know that's what everyone brings up immediately. And I guess let's get started. How, how do you feel like the momentum starting to build for Larry Johnson in this class? Um, I mean... I think it's fine. 
I think it's good. I think it's actually going to be a really good class the way it ends. I th- I think that not, this is not a Larry Johnson thing, and I would have to look at two four seven just to be sure. But I think for some reason, defensive line edge rushers have like tended to not re- not like commit early. You know, quarterbacks typically commit early because they want to recruit the class. Wide receivers commit early because they're the, you know, fancy guys or whatever. You know, they want their spot. But I feel like defensive line doesn't typically recruit, commit early. So, I think that, that, you know, is not a Larry Johnson thing. I do think that, you know, it did take some time to even hear some like solid names, some like solid like this is probably going to be something. And I hope it works out the way that it is, because a lot of these guys were expected to commit somewhere else. So it's like whatever work he's been doing recently, I mean, he's been doing it. So I think that, you know, it's fine. Um like you said, we've been critical of him, and I think that's fair to have been critical of him, and I still need to see it on the field. Um, I think, you know, it's hard to criticize a legend, but you have to be able to you have to be able to sustain it. And yeah. as we've seen with the defensive line recently, it has not been to our expectations of him. And so that's going to be really what I follow going into the season because you have guys that really need to make the jump and you have guys that didn't make the jump. And so it'll be interesting to see in season how he manages that and how the young guys develop and how much he trusts them. Because I do like his there is no such thing as a stain on his legacy. His legacy is what it is. Yeah, but it absolutely. will be a negative for me in a singular season if he relies on the young guy old guys, either because the young guys aren't ready or because he's playing seniority. And I don't think that is a positive for this defense at all. But as far yeah. as recruiting, I mean, I'm really excited about some of the names that I see. One guy I'd literally never heard of, and, I mean, he seems to be good, but I'm really excited about Mateo. And if nothing else, I mean, I know there's no locks in recruiting, but you can't I, – I just feel like you can't miss – on the best defensive lineman coming out of DeMatha Catholic since Chase Young when you had Chase Young. Like, like if there was a lot, then it's like whatever. But, like, it was Chase, nobody, 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 nobody. Here's a guy right after Chase got drafted to Washington. So you saw what he came out of that high school. You saw what he did in college. He got drafted to the hometown, hometown school, which means – and all of these athletes and things, like they always connect with their alma mater. I would bet money this guy knows Chase. You can't tell me that you're going to miss on that guy. So I'm, I'm very excited about him, I would say. Yeah, I think uh, one of the points you touched on is the development aspect. And I I think Larry Johnson's recruiting has stayed pretty much to par. And yeah, you know, I mean, even looking back on it, like Joey Bosa wasn't as high as you'd think he was as a recruit. Nick Bosa was and Chase Young was. They were both five stars, but they weren't like number one defense linemen in the class types. And they ended up becoming three of the best edge rushers in the entire country. And that's kind of where I think the link's missing. But, like, when I look at a player like Jason Moore, when I look at a player like Mataya Uangalele, they have everything you want in a recruit to potentially get to that level. And the reason uh, Jason Moore is the first one I want to talk about, he got a ton of crystal ball action, a ton of prediction action to Ohio State. 
And then yesterday he set his commitment date for Sunday, July 10th. So uh, by the time you might listen to the show, Jason Moore might be an Ohio State Buckeye. And that's something huge. And another major aspect about it is Ohio State's not really recruiting against any Southern schools here. It is all schools in its like in its geography and its general vicinity. And it's beating out Michigan. It's beating out Notre Dame. It's beating out Penn State. It's beating out Maryland. Three of those teams are in your conference division, regardless of how long those last. And Notre Dame is on your schedule this year and next year. So it's an incredibly important recruiting win. And I think it's definitely the type that will get that pep in Larry Johnson's step to continue fighting these battles, getting these players in the building, getting them in the room, and then getting them to sign on the dotted line when it all comes down to it. Uh, and the other one, like Matayo, uh, Uangalele, I know Oregon, I feel like a lot of the news that comes out with Matayo is uh, filled with recency bias. Like when he goes somewhere or when he talks about somewhere in an interview that tends to become the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, I know Ohio State, everyone said, oh, man, I wouldn't be surprised if he commits soon to Ohio State. And then he went to Oregon and it's like, oh, you know what? I think Oregon's back in the driver's seat. So I, I just feel like trust the process with that one. Uh, but, you know, overall, I think there are two tests for Larry Johnson this year. And he's fighting, you know, retirement rumors every time he's recruiting. And I, I think he was fighting a very poor defensive system the last two years. So I, I really think this, in a way, is a year that will re-cement himself as the Larry Johnson who, whose name everyone identifies with. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Um, I'm excited for it. I do think that, and I hate to be the one to say it, but we need to say it eventually. I just So I have a question. I don't care year, right? I don't yep. care about year. When Larry Johnson retires, I was thinking about this because it's going to be soon. It has to be soon. And honestly, personally, I think they should get it out the way. Um, personally, I think he should retire after this year. And it has nothing to do with him at all. It has to do with the fact that our best defensive lineman, if he retires this year, will have another year on the roster. So if recruiting dips for a year until someone proves themselves, we will have players on the roster that should be able to carry us. But ultimately, my question to you is, if he were going to retire, what is the best way for him to retire that doesn't hurt Ohio State? Should he do like, should he come out, like if he came out at Big Ten Media Days and said next, like should he do like the farewell tours, what I'm asking, like announce in advance, like if he announces in January, like, hey, 2023 is my last season, so like recruits know you can get ahead of it. Ohio State can like build those relationships and like convince them. Like it it can't be like right after the season, right? Like that's going to screw Ohio State. Yeah, and even if it's not public, I think internally Ohio State would be prepared for that well in advance. So I I guess I I feel like it has to be public. I feel like people have to know about it. I feel like if it's public other schools could use that more aggressively against them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so internally, because like once those rumors have the truth to it, like Larry Johnson's like, I'm out this year. Ohio State. Like it doesn't matter who the replacement is. It's going to be, Hey, they're not going to have that guy. That's been 
you know, uh, you don't even know who's going to be recruiting. You don't even know who's going to be coaching you. But deep inside, if you keep it close to the vest, I mean, like obviously recruits are getting told stuff that no one outside is getting told, you know. Like I'm sure Ryan Day said there were planned coaching changes, especially with like the primary local targets, because you need to be honest with that stuff early. They all said they didn't know, especially all the offensive linemen. They all said they had no idea. Yeah, but I also read a Samson Lola story this week where he had no relationship with Coach Stud. So that, I mean, that's part of the reason he probably got fired. But overall, I think... That's disgusting, don't... And you said his name. Don't make me log off this podcast I had to because right it, was, it was so <laughs> atrocious. He had to... You know, every once in a while on Harry Potter, they, they say Voldemort. And, you know, so, it's, it's to so make it... Yeah, so here's my line of thinking, though. I feel like it's going to be worse if he surprise retires. And I think that you have to accept that you may dip in a class. So if you tell him in January, right? So, like, for example, he goes out this year. He gets this class. They're all signed, everything. January 2023, he announces publicly that 2023 season is his last season. The 2023 recruiting class, 2024... 2020. When the recruiting is it the 2020? What recruiting class is this? This is this 2023. Is yeah, the 2024 recruiting class may suffer a little bit, but you have an entire year with those with 2024, 2025, 2026 to build relationships with other coaches as their primary recruiter to sell the Ohio State thing for Larry Johnson to go on the road and say, we can't announce who we're hiring yet because that's just not how coaching works. But just know he's a dog like and it's no longer that shock where like he retires in in November and you have to try to save that class and you have to build a relationship with the next class. So like it's going to be a negative. People will recruit against it. And yeah. I don't know if this makes any sense at all, but in my line of thinking, I just feel like it would be better if he does the farewell tour thing and just like, I mean, it's Ohio State. They're going to get somebody regardless. But like you scrap the like you just you you waste a year and you know you're going to waste a year, but you get ahead of it. And there's yeah. no rumors like, you know, you pick up whoever that's going to be, you know, like maybe it's. Uh, maybe it's Jim. Maybe it's one of the GAs. Maybe it's you know I don't know. Yeah, I was but just someone saying. on staff like takes over that primary recruiting and builds relationships with them. Yeah, I've seen about that. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it's best for like a coach to like a position coach to say, boy, like head coach. You'd probably want like Mark yeah, Antonio probably did it the worst way where you leave yeah. literally right after signing day. He's not but, a position coach. He's Larry yeah, Johnson. And, and, Any like, other Larry coach, Johnson's he doesn't matter. Here. Just do whatever. But I feel like yeah. with him. And like with Matayo's recruitment, his relationship with his position coach is so important. Like maybe Larry Johnson's the type of guy where you bring in a very highly paid analyst, you know, a hands-off type of coach like who's kind of between jobs, you know, not really between jobs, but – you know what I'm talking about. Like you the do analyst in waiting? Yeah, like in a way. And then you have the play. Washington didn't want to do that, but I mean, yeah. Think, I think there are other coaches in the nation that would do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And you let Larry Johnson write it out. You know, you pay this guy $300,000 to be an analyst, and then all of a sudden transition's <laughs> fixed. And it's like, all I mean, right. And what, what if it's one of, what if it, I mean, what if it's one of the guys we had talked about before, like the the guy that I think he went to Boston College, right? Or am I tripping? 
the uh, the guy. I mean, yeah. he, he has guys in the industry that were GAs, and there's supposedly a pretty highly touted one right now that people like that he could be yeah, like. There are you know, plenty grooming. of. He's been. I mean, he's been around so long. I mean, he'll have his recommendations immediately for Ryan Day. The biggest and, question that I have is: Is it going to be a young guy, or are they going to try to go get someone established? Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, we saw it with Jim Knowles, like. Jim Knowles, I don't know if he wants to be a head coach again, you know, or even try that. It. it doesn't feel and like he's probably it. making more money than anywhere that would hire him as a head coach. Yeah, and thinking about that, like, train of thought, I think, like, even Larry Johnson is a defensive line coach. He's the associate head coach. He got to coach a game at Ohio State during the COVID year. Um, you know, looking into that aspect of it, I think there you'd probably want to go and – find that stability on the defensive side because you're probably going to get Jim Knowles five to ten years if he does excel and is great as a defensive coordinator. So you probably just want to have his running mate for four or five years, you know, maybe not a guy who's looking for that upward mobility like, say, uh, possibly an Al Washington was. And that's not to knock like a a young coach who's climbing the circle, but I think continuity's sake at Ohio State, especially – in key positions needed for winning a championship would be the goal. Yeah. It'll be interesting. But But for now to like reel it back in, as I kind of took us off base, it does seem like, you know, they are trending upward. I think Mateo commits um, on the last day possible. Uh, I think he commits on signing day. I think that him and his dad are going to, and I don't think this is wrong at all. I mean, yeah, Ari Wasserman says something that I actually don't disagree with. He was like, if I was a recruit, like I would use all of my visits. He was like, I would, he was like, I wouldn't even use an official visit on a local team. Like, no, I would use an official visit in Hawaii, not necessarily Hawaii, but like the, the cool, the schools that you're interested in that also you may never get to and just like really live up the recruiting thing. I think his dad likes being in the spotlight. I think he likes the attention. So I don't see them committing early because it's going to stop the attention. I do yeah. think that, that they're Buckeyes. Uh, Jason Moore is already about to commit. So um, where do you want to yeah. go next? I think uh, I think John Walker. I think Desmond U- Umeazuli is a very talented player. Uh, but I think his recruiting is probably going to linger out a little bit longer than some of the other names. I know John Walker is a guy who I'm pretty sure has a commitment date set. I, I don't want to – lead you guys astray so i'm pulling yeah, it's july 28th so he, he's committing at the end of the month and i think like it's uh guess who it's coming down to uh ohio state michigan mike elston versus larry johnson oh is that what it's coming down to yeah uh, oh, he's coming to ohio UCF state and florida are the other two we're not like, losing we're not losing him to michigan but yeah and i think a lot of the momentum uh, especially crystal ball stuff, especially all that has John Walker sort of trending that direction. So I, I feel good about that. And I, I know I kind of – one of my big knocks was the interior defensive line recruiting of Larry Johnson. It always felt like you'd get the elite edge rushers and you'd kind of miss out. And, you know, everyone would like – uh, slobber over Jordan Davis. Like, how do we find one of those guys, you know? And you've got one in Tyleek, I think. But looking at John Walker from the recruiting profile standpoint, like, he is that size. He is an incredible athlete for his size. And 
This would be one of the biggest interior defensive line recruiting wins Ohio State's had in quite some time. I, I can't even like definitive one technique defensive tackle probably ready to play immediately. Like Gerard Vincent was the last one of that size who committed to Ohio State at that level of recruiting. Yeah, and I definitely just – I don't think he is what Ohio State normally recruits, but he is what we have been calling for. Yeah, and, you know, it's like kind of that issue with it's hard to go into the South and find players like that because a lot of those guys stay home. And those players just don't – aren't around the entire country. You know, like we talk about why like some of the West Coast teams struggle against – like. Big Ten teams and SEC teams is because they have smaller players on the offense defensive line. Like that's a real thing. Uh, getting a guy like John Walker would change the entire identity of the defensive class in my eyes, and it would make it like a legitimately serious class to me if you were able to get him. I mean, there's the potential for three top 100 players, and John Walker, Mateo, Uangalele, and Jason Moore. And then Desmond is a top 150 player. I mean, I think yeah. that's fine, especially if you have three top 100 players. And then, I mean, you do that, yeah. and then you add in you add in um, a couple. I think if you could, I, I mean, if you do that, you have one of the best defensive classes in the country, honestly. Yeah, and then you add in um, you add in oh, Tackett and Arvell Reese. I like you could be incredibly happy with that defensive class, top to bottom. You know, yeah, and for that's sure. not even getting to the safeties but like that gives you if you could land honestly i don't think they're going to get jordan hall but if you could land jason moore matayo desmond john walker then that allows you to kind of take those long-term depth pieces you know maybe the more local kid you know in the midwest region that like i mean they already have that with um yeah with uh but that gives you a little bit room to possibly take another like will smith jr I think they'd be done with five, personally. They have the two inside, three outside, and then they get – because they're going to take two linebackers. They already have, like, four deep, four corners, two defensive backs, two safeties. Yeah, I think yeah. they'd be done with those ones. Yeah, and then if you get downs, I think for Jim Knowles and this staff in his first year, I don't think you could have had more collective success. On the mm. defense side of the ball, and that's—I right. mean, that's real. And obviously, I feel like as a recruiting expert, the hats on right now. I have to say, things can change in recruiting uh, very quickly. So, right now, everything's looking good, smooth sailing. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I'd still expect. You know, last year there are names that like Larry Johnson pulled out at the end, where I'm like, okay, I, I didn't hear about this guy until like a week before he committed to Ohio State. So. Uh, you never know with Larry Johnson. I think that's part of the fun. Yeah, for sure. And I think that Bill Landis said something that was interesting, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, where he said that Larry Johnson has never been the guy to get the number one recruit in the nation. Uh, I mean, he he has. No, he hasn't. Jack Sawyer was close. Jack Sawyer. Oh, JT was. Oh, no. no, 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 no
but still, like that, even that was like not typical. Like he, he yeah. gets top one hundred guys, but he's almost never gotten the number one, two, three. Like that's not really what he's going after typically. And yeah, he has a very fine, you know, whatever. Like yeah. even like Corey Foreman, like everyone would want him, but like I, I know Larry Foreman Johnson is a bust. Uh, I know Larry Johnson has exactly what he's looking for in edge players. And, you know, I, I mean, looking even at like a guy like Tyreek Smith from his athletic profile fits exactly what he's looking for. He just didn't develop into that elite type of pass rusher. Zach Harrison, honestly, is kind of an outlier to me when you look at who Larry Johnson's recruited, who he's brought in. And we could kind of see how it hasn't fully worked itself out yet and you know here's to hoping Jim Knowles can find a way to unlock him a little bit more but I I think that's an interesting point like I I think Larry Johnson I think I'm confident in this class so uh, I think it's time to get into something that I'm just I mean I don't even know why this was something that even popped up on my feed because I just don't it, it was it was like news I wanted to talk about because we've been on Samson and Lola for so long, but also I'm like, this is not serious news. I don't think this really brings anything up to like change anything. Uh, but Samson and Lola did an interview with uh, the Silver Bulletin, uh, I think, and he, he talked to them a little bit about his recruitment with Ohio State and said everything's good. He's got a really strong relationship with Ryan Day. Uh, he said starting in January, he had to start like communicating with Justin Fry, and he said he's been able to build a solid relationship there. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like – and I saw a commitment today where people were talking about, oh, the niece quarterback who just committed to Florida. People were like, oh, I just thought he was so committed to Penn State like two weeks ago. That's what he said. And in these interviews – like recruits aren't going to disparage a program. They're not going to talk badly about a coach. And it's usually kind of what goes unsaid that you really take away from recruiting interviews. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, I feel like Ryan Day's a great recruiter. That doesn't mean every recruit's going to come to Iowa State. I feel like Justin Fry seems like a very nice person and he's got a lot of energy from what I've seen from him and that doesn't mean like every recruit's going to come play with him Samson has relationships he's built for years like we talked about Michigan State last week with him where he's been kind of going there for camps and stuff since he was a freshman in high school like that's crazy a long time for the relationship with not only a coach but an entire school to be built so uh, if he was willing to visit Michigan State back then uh, Mel Tucker just made that place a lot more appealing. But, I, I mean, I'm not letting him play with us, honestly. I, I think if Justin Fry pulls this off, it'll probably be the greatest recruiting feat an offensive line coach at Ohio State had since before I really started following recruiting at all. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I just don't even want to get excited about it. I don't even want to talk about it. I have I have resigned myself to that. He is Keontae Goodwin, a player that Ohio State should have gotten, but he who shall not be named fumbled the bag and has and the similar thing with Keontae Goodwin is he was very serious about Michigan State and not Ohio State. And that disgusts me. So um I mean I think that projecting to the future, um 
the only thing that I really take out of this is that Fry is who we thought he was and that if you give him the time to actually build and work that relationship, whether that be 2024, 2025, when he's more established, we will start getting these Samson Okinolas. But I'm just not even going to get my hopes up. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm looking at his current top five in 24-7 sports. It's Alabama, Miami, Michigan State, Florida. And the thing is with, like, sometimes the top 30 recruits, it's like, all right, like, he's keeping it a mystery. He doesn't even know where he's really going. But he's got – I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he went to any of those four schools, honestly, at this point. But I can tell you with confidence, I have a feeling where he's not going to end up. Yeah, and that's, and that's, why that's because he sh- he who shall not be named. It just yeah, and, I, and it sucks because I know like four months ago we were very excited for the possibility of a Samson Olas Linen class and a Luke Montgomery class. You know that would have been insane, uh, but. I, I think it, I think this increases the importance of Olaus's uh, recruitment. I think this increases the importance, and I, I do think Fry is going to take uh, Miles Walker because just to, he got to fill out the room, honestly. And that's not to knock him, but that, that like Miles Walker would be a take in most years as a fifth offensive lineman. So local local lure kid, and you know once you miss on a higher recruit that's the type of guy you fall back on yeah i mean the thing is the buckets are always going to buck eye right we've already broken this down on why they take quote-unquote lower rated offensive linemen is because most people are not talented or skilled enough to be able to recruit and not recruit to be able to accurately identify offensive linemen and it just isn't sexy like you're only going to get so many five-star offensive linemen, and they're most likely going to be the ones that play left tackle. Like the one, the two hundred, the number two hundred offensive lineman is probably a top three NFL draft pick. So these guys, you have to develop them. I mean, they're 17, 18. Some of them were six two a year ago, and now they're six five and working into their body. Like they take time to develop. So I think the thing that we're asking for. Is for our lower ranked offensive linemen to be 350 and not 600. There is a yeah. difference in that. A huge difference. Um, we want them to be 65, 305, not 65, 245, and have to put on 60 pounds. Like, there is some growth that needs to happen, and there is some up, updating and upgrading that needs to happen as far as the recruiting and stuff. But in general, you're always going to have these Miles Walkers. Uh, and that's fine. Yeah, that's and I, offensive line recruiting should be. Yeah, it's not even. It's not like anything that would be out of the ordinary ever. It's just probably where the class is heading, and that's yeah, that's that's the most recent information. I just I thought it was some non serious news that would probably rile up some people seeing it. And I just wanted to be clear, like I have I'd have great relationships with Ohio State. If I was a five star recruit, that doesn't mean I'm going there. And that's just hmm. kind of what I wanted to clarify a little bit news wise. Yeah, for uh, sure. The last thing I got recruiting, uh, it seems like all the momentum for Troy Bowles is to Georgia. So I think that dream for us is dead. But they they say Ohio State's still fighting. Uh, I never you never know. Jim Knowles. We'll see what uh, what's the term? Does he have that dog in him? You know, it's ironic because he's recruiting against Georgia, who are the dogs. But uh, I think 
ironically enough, Troy Bowles had a great relationship with Al Washington, who we've disparaged in our time on Puck Off. Uh, right or wrong, but mostly right because, well, yeah. we saw what happened. It was not great. And I, I, it all comes back down to relationships and recruiting. We've talked about that more than we haven't. But I I think it feels like this is going to be an Arville Reese and Tackett Curtis class. And I'm excited for that. I, I'll be honest. That's where I'm at with this. If Ohio State somehow pulls Troy Bowles out of the magician's hat, I think we should shoot off fireworks like it's Fourth of July, but Arvell Reese attack Curtis is a really solid linebacker class following an already really solid linebacker class following a previously solid really solid linebacker class. So I, I think you're stacking up talented players at a position that utilizes only two of them regularly. So I, I feel like closing. Closing this down and just getting the linebacker recruiting finished is really the goal at this point. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that, um, I don't know, I like, I have interesting thoughts about recruiting. And I feel that, like, with certain recruits ending in the top three is a positive, especially when you have new coaches. Coaches, yeah. And so, this is not going to happen forever that I'm going to feel this way. But when the entire defensive staff is new, seeing them be able to build and maintain a relationship with someone like Troy Bowles, who could have easily said screw Ohio State and went to Georgia because they changed coaches, I think matters for the future. And that's how I'm looking at a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, I think I would be more, you know, have more feelings about it if we weren't going to get Tackett Curtis or Arvell Reese and if we didn't have the linebacker class from last year. But I think it's I think it's fine. You're not going to get everyone, You're especially not. not coming off of a coaching change. He's a good I – mean, and the fact that, like, it was even an option, like, that's not typically a, a kid that comes to Ohio State. Yeah. It's just and- not. He's from Florida. Uh, you've got Raul Aguirre. Uh, and I, I feel like there's quite a few people in the Buckeye area who are confident, like, are still holding out hope for Raul Aguirre. But I see two commitment dates on the exact same day, both very much involved with Georgia. And I could just see them doing a double on July 16th, saying, like, we're the next great linebackers of Georgia, especially after last season, you know. Yeah, and also it's like, I don't know that I fully believe in the recruiting bump after national championships, but, like, Georgia did just win a national championship. Yeah, so and like, I would need, like, call it just a national championship. Recruiting and they had 17 defense. million defense. They had non-starters yeah. drafted in the first and second round. The draft bump, the national potential. championship bump, the elite defense for, like, four consecutive seasons, like – it's really like if I was an elite like defensive player, I, I mean, you have to seriously consider Georgia, right? Like, yeah, you'd be dumb not to, especially yeah. in the front seven. It's like Ohio State with wide receivers. Wide receivers. Yeah. You at least have to like have a conversation about it. So, right. yeah. And I think, I mean, linebacker recruiting, I, I think Jim Knowles in his first year recruiting at the Ohio State level, like he, identified targets he went after the targets and i think he's gonna land most of the targets he wanted so i i don't i mean i i said that wrong like i think he's gonna be happy with the targets that he ends up with yeah for sure 
Because I, I like one thing I read about Arbel Reese was like he's one of the best athletes at the position in the entire country, like freak athlete, right? But he's just not a very uh, experienced football player from like an X's and O's standpoint, and that comes with coaching and stuff. And it's like in high school when you're that good of an athlete, it's not always about like, hey, we need you to hit this B gap and like come in with this technique. It's like, hey, you're a freak athlete, like we're not going to hold you back. See ball, get ball type of stuff. You know, we, I feel like every school had a linebacker like that at some point and the rules kind of go out of the way for them in high school because it doesn't matter. And I feel like Arvell Reese, like you take the level of coaching of Jim Knowles with that athleticism would be an incredibly dangerous recruit. Yeah, and I think that, like, you don't want a whole recruiting class built off of that. But when you have a guy like Jim Knowles, who you know can teach, it's like you can take a couple and, like, I can teach them how to play the game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I mean, that's all I got with recruiting. I don't think we need to go much deeper. I I mean – we saw the offensive class. We, I mean, I think it's become very much an expectation the offensive class is going to be elite. You know, I think only one position. And Mark Fletcher is really good. I just think running back's an incredibly difficult position to recruit in the modern age. Uh, and I, even then, they're still solid there. So I think offensively, yeah. the class is awesome. I think it's also hard when you can really only play one. Yeah, exactly. like quarterback and running back, like any other position, like you can tell someone like you're not going to be a starter, but you're going to be a six man. Yeah, you're going to be a seven man. You're going to rotate. You're going like, to You can back. tell them that wide receiver. You can tell them that linebacker, defensive, defensive line. back, defensive yeah. line. You can't. You can't tell them that running back. Yeah, and I think that's a huge aspect with that position and that recruiting. Like Richard Young wants to go into next season and play. Like he's that talented. So, is why he would do he that? Oh, he he is going to do that at Alabama because Alabama's running backs suck. Yeah, well, they got Jameer Gibbs, who's yeah, this is, got another year, but he's still going to play a lot. So, I mean, yeah, being the number two is fine. Yeah, like Bama loves their committee style running back. So, Ohio State. I don't think they did the best job at it. I think that's a conversation topic for another show, though. Like, Which, how what is? you could involve, like, create an actual committee. Because it felt like they'd be like, here's three series for Travion Henderson. Here's a series for Mayan Williams. And then there's three more. And, like, I understand that kind of rotation, but I, I feel like there's no rhythm to that. It's like. I think. So I actually disagree. Street, like, like. Oh. I kind of after playing running back, I disagree with that slightly. I agree that if someone is hot, you need to keep them in. But running back is a position with feel, so I think good or bad, you need to give them a series. Like if you're gonna play them, they get the series unless they get tired. Because sometimes, like you, like you saw it with Mayan and even Travion, like you'd run if you run the ball four times on a series, you might get a yard, you may lose a yard, you may get three yards, and then you break it. You yeah. can't just put them in for plays because you don't know what's gonna happen. So and like you can't predict. And and if you have running backs that you can't have. A full series. Like if you have running backs, then it becomes like Travion's in. They're gonna like it became what Michigan was like, low key. Like, uh, well, it becomes what Michigan may be like this year, not necessarily last year. But it's yeah. like Donovan Edwards is in. They're gonna throw the ball. He's in. They're gonna run outside. He's in. They're gonna run in the tackle. And obviously, they are very successful. You can't disparage Michigan for that. But if you have running backs that can't kind of do everything, people kind of know what to do. And so then, if you're replacing running backs inside of a series. 
smart yeah. defenses are going to know it why. Be like, it's like bringing Mayan Williams in on fourth and one because he's the short yards back. Yeah, so I think I, I like that they give them the whole series. Yeah. I do. The, I, I but where like, I agree with you is I don't like when someone was balling and they're hot, and then it's like, no, we have to play this guy. Like, no, yeah, like series. You know, yeah, I think there's a happy medium, and like. I think you go back, and I, I kind of want to rewatch one of USC's championship seasons where they have Linda White and Reggie Bush, because I feel like you could really legitimately possibly have, maybe not like to that level, you know, of excitement, but that level of mix, you know. Yeah, maybe I'm just thinking and getting people excited here, but yeah, it's just where I'm at. Uh, do you want to jump to the break now and then just hit the questions on the flip side, or? I think it's a break, honestly. I feel like we're in a natural break. That's fine. Alright, we will get to the questions on the book side here. We'll see you guys there. Welcome back in, everybody. It's your host, Christopher Rennie. We are having another episode of the Book Out Podcast, and we're happy to have you here with us. If you're still here with us, you should be. Uh, we did recruiting. Now we got some what if questions. Uh, yeah, but. Running backs, I, I'm excited for the running back group to finish that conversation off. Uh, I think I think you've got a ton of talent. I know Mike Williams had the injury and the sickness last year, so that threw stuff in. Now you've got Evan Pryor, who hit the weight room. Uh, so it's going to be a fun group, I think. It's going to be a fun group if Ryan Day chooses to run the ball. Yeah. Another thing, I feel like – you need to have the carrier carries more balanced out, like because you can't have Travion Henderson having like 250 carries by the ninth game. Like you don't want her to be hitting that wall by then. And I think there's there's like a balance to it, and I that's why I'm not paid a million dollars to coach. You know, I mean personally, I think the carries were good last year. I think Travion played football in two years. I think that where it becomes more important, to your point, is if they run the ball more. Yeah, they need to like if they run the if they run the same exact number of times they ran last year. I don't think that there's anything they need to change about the carry amounts. But if they run the ball more as they should, then they're really going to have to consider it. And that's where I think having a third running back and Evan Pryor really helps because he yeah. can, even if it's 50 carries, that, that matters. Um, and, like, if you give Evan Pryor some time in the games that aren't going to be close, you know, take those carries away from Travion, take them away from Mayan, give him, like, 15-second half carries just because you're up 35 points, why risk it? And it's like later in the season that stuff's going to add up. Yeah, he's going to have a couple hundred yard games for sure doing that. Yeah, so I think I think we figured out the running back position on this show. Did so, Tony you, Alford, if you listen, we, we could give you our data. Did you see that whoever does, like, the best duo ranking kind of stupid stuff said Big that we had the best running back duo in the nation? I did, in fact, see that. Chesney is average. Yeah, I mean – I am a really, really big Braylon Allen fan. I was going to say, you love Braylon Allen. Why they want to put him up there. I don't think Braylon Allen is the best running back in the Big Ten. I don't think he's better than Travion. I don't think he's better than uh, Mo Ibrahim. And I, I think he's top five, I th- I'd say. Oh, I'd yeah, say for sure. Yeah. But 
I don't think Chaz is top ten, so the two of them can't be the number one. Yeah, because I feel like mine would probably be like right at nine or ten. Yeah, so I, I just I think that I thought that was a stretch. Um, I felt that um, I don't remember what I said. I said Ohio State and someone else had a better, um, yeah, better like pairing. Uh, I think I need to find that tweet, but that was just crazy. Like, I don't want to sound crazy like, here, watch but just going off numbers, Michigan's could be pretty good this year. Ah. Uh, I like Donovan Edwards a lot more than I like uh, Blake Corum. So, nah, I, I I really don't think Blake Corum's very good, and that's like not even my bias talking. So, I don't uh, dislike them. I don't think that they're that good, though. Yeah, I, I with you. I think Mo Ibrahim's the second best running back in the Big Ten. I'm just trying to think of the rest of the conference right now. Uh, Chase Brown. Uh, first of all, Illinois has a underrated pairing. Um, Chase Brown and um, what is that guy's name? Yeah, what that's the only name? way they won football games last year. I can't think of the other guy's name, but they actually have a really good. Oh, I said Texas. Uh, they had them over Texas and Ohio State, and that is mind blowing to me. Yeah, I will Chase say that's average at best. That is I why I don't interact with those posts. Uh, give me, that's why I have RJ Young muted as well because they just say incredibly incoherent thoughts. Yeah, and claim them as gold. Uh, all right, so at Land Grant Holy Land this week, it is the week of what if questions, and I think there's a lot of ways to take this. What if something changed in the past? What if something doesn't happen this season? And what if heading to the future? You know, all that. There's a lot of what if. Marvel did what if on Disney Plus. Free plug for them. I enjoyed the series. Uh, It really takes on that fun way of, you know, we all have what if in sports. Like, what if LeBron never left Cleveland? Like, that's a what if question. But that's not what we're getting in today. I don't think we have any of those big controversial ones. I kept out the Joe Burrow one. I think we've talked ad nauseum as Ohio State fans about what if Joe Burrow didn't transfer. But I, I think we'll I think we're good here. So I wrote an article this week. Uh, my what if was what if Ohio State doesn't develop an elite pass rusher this year? Like how good can the defense be? How good can Ohio State be? Uh, and that's let's get started there. So I put the stats in. I've got the stats pulled up. Uh, you know, Joey Bosa, I, I realized he was really good. He was the best of the three in college until Chase Young's junior year. Uh, and then I don't know. Then you just debate with yourself. It's Joey or Chase. Uh, Nick was the definitive third, but he might be the best now. That's crazy to me. But looking at it all, if Ohio State doesn't develop an elite pass rusher, do you think there is enough potential committee talent to create enough havoc to really be a national championship caliber defensive line? No. Yes. No. No. Define elite. You know, uh, I don't remember what number we put it at. Um... Uh, 50 sacks is low. 
I think we said 60 sacks would be like a really good year for like if you had the development of an elite passer. No, it's probably 50. It's probably 50, 45 to 50. I was going to say I was going to say 65 a game. That's a lot. Yeah. So it's probably 45. That would probably be the best over under. So it would be over 45 sacks. Do you think a committee could get there? Yes, but you need you need multiple people with eight sacks, like yeah. eight, like around like you need you need you need JT with eight, you need Jack with eight, you need Tyleek with eight. That gives you twenty four, right? And Teron then with like six, twenty six with another with the rest. Like, I mean, um, what's his name has only ever had like four. So you get Zach him, Harrison, yeah. You can't assume he's Let's say he gets five. That get, that puts you at twenty nine. Mm. Jordan Hall gets two or three. Let's say the rest of the interior that's not Tyleek get ten total. Puts you at thirty nine. So then you just need eleven from your backups. Yeah. Uh, it's close. I, that's why I feel like, and you know, linebackers would come into play like. Because last year, the linebackers were pretty much irrelevant in that aspect because they just didn't blitz. They just chose to sit them in the middle of the field until, like, later in the season. So, I guess Jim Knowles blitzes more. Uh, Will that change everything that much? Will it add 10 sacks? No, I don't think so. I don't think that adds 11 more sacks. Yeah, I don't know. That's hard because, like... I mean, I guess you could have a defensive line that gets a lot of pressure and doesn't fully get sacks, and you'd be fine. Because part of the problem is they weren't also not getting pressure. Yeah. So quarterbacks were too comfortable. I mean... Because, all right, say... I I think it's possible. I think it's unlikely. If JT develops into a 15 sack guy... Then, then yeah. it's it's yeah because now you have to focus special attention on JT as well because you can't just have one guy wreaking that much havoc on your offense. So guess what that does? Jack Sawyer is not going to have running back help on his side. Tyleek Williams, they're going to have to use a guard to double team. You think Jim Knowles is going to have a stunt ready for that that gets big old Tyleek running his 10-yard sprint right at the quarterback? No, it's not going to happen. So that's where I was at with this question. If they, if JT develops into a 13 to 15 sack guy, this team, is, the defense is a national championship defense. I don't think there's like passing defense from that standpoint. I don't think you could be much better because you add the sacks I'm very, very confident in the corners. And I think the safeties will just do their job. And that's really all you want from your safeties. So you add all that together, you get one of the elite pass rushers. And I'm not saying he has to be Chase Young or Joey Bosa or even – he just has to be Nick Bosa's sophomore year, you know, like a 12-sack, 13-sack guy who just really gives you headaches. 
I don't care how the numbers break down. I think you need 22 to 24 sacks between Jack and JT. Yeah, no, I think that's like, a good way to look at it. Be, that can be 13 and 11. It can be 15 and 9. It can be 12 and 12. Be it honest. can be 14 and 10. It could be 16 and 8. It doesn't matter. I think they need to have 24, 22 to 24 sacks. Between 30 sacks from Zach Harrison, JT, and Jack Sawyer. That's an elite pass rusher unit. Yeah, because those, those they would get twenty four, and he then gets six. Zach gets six. Mm, whatever. And then you have Zach, who's a much better run defender than Jack Sawyer, and then mm-hmm. that really creates an incredibly solid defensive line, like for your first three. Now you've got Javante Jean Baptiste. If he could get a few in there, if you know Tyler Friday, I think he's bumping to three. But I think you have the talent. I think you have the bodies. And the interior, I think the interior is going to be the strength of the defensive line at the beginning of the season, to be honest. Because I still think, I think with that experience, I think the experience on the interior is better than the experience on the exterior. And then you're going to have Tyleek there as well. And then you're going to have Michael Hall there, who are going to elevate that group. So, yeah, but if they don't develop it. So the really burning question is, if they don't have an elite pass rush, can they win a national championship in 2022? I don't think so either. Looking back on it, uh, even 2019 LSU, when they played their best defensively, had an elite pass rush. You cannot sit here and watch that Clemson game when they were playing at their best with that defensive line and say that wasn't an elite pass rush. I'm not going to give them that. I'm going to give them that their offense was stupid and – Leave it at that. Yeah, I'm I, not just sure. remember, I'm not I just remember. I just remember seeing Trevor Lawrence's hair flopping around <laughs> everywhere, and that doesn't happen often. So, uh, 2020 Bama, they did it by committee, and then 2021 Georgia. I don't think anything else needs to be said about that group. No, not at all. So, I think there's three bulletproof points you can look at for like, hey, you need to have a solid defensive front to win a national championship. All right, next question. Uh, we've talked about this, maybe not a lot and maybe not in detail, but I, I, I think I brought this up first, but just assuming the receivers are going to be as good as two first-round draft picks and a third probably right on the way uh, is really hard for me to like just assume. And I understand Emeka Ibuka gets me excited for watching him play because he's 62 and he's he's like a bigger Chris Olave honestly from everything you look at him. Uh Julian Fleming as we talk about it, we say it almost every time we bring him up. The most impressive non-catches we've seen on the team. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. I think we could obviously see the potential. But replacing 2000 yards of consistency, reliability, showing up every single week and getting it done, you know, double teams, brackets, you know, it didn't matter what you put in front of them. They had the experience to look in front of them, see exactly what they're getting, set up their routes and do that stuff. And that's like the underrated aspect of receiving. And will the young guys be able to do that once you play a team that's a little bit more on the discipline side of the defense, you know, and that's, that's one of my big questions heading into Notre Dame as well because they run a lot of relaxed quarters, a lot of cover four with the switch stuff going on. So it's going to be – it's a big question. What if they're not as good? Can 
I mean, it all comes back to if they're not as good, can Ohio State win a national championship? Yes. Because here's why. You are thinking not as good in the wrong way, in my opinion. Because Ohio State, so I just put up the stats really quickly. Everyone knows I'm the stats guy. I like to look at stats. C.J. Stroud threw for 4,400 yards, 4,435 to be exact. Guess, I want you to guess what what percentage of those yards did, did the trio have of Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson? Uh, so it was like it had to be close to like 4,100, so – like 85% of the yards. Close. 81%. So, do they need to be that good? No. But here's the thing. C.J. Stroud is still going to go throw for four or 5,000 yards. So, what's going to happen is instead of 1,600, 1,000, and 936, you're going to get 1,600 because I'm, predict- I'm predicting he break the record. You're going to get 1,600, 800, 700, 700, 600, 500, 400, and it's going to be spread out. And maybe one breaks, maybe one breaks where it's 1,600, 1,000, 6, 6, 5, 5, 4, whatever. Yeah. But he's still going to throw for 5,000. out a little bit more. So it's going to be different. And so, no, they don't have to be as good. But C.J. Stroud is so good, they just need to be able to catch. And yeah. the thing is, like – Where last CJ, year it felt like the receivers, especially at the beginning of the year, were helping C.J. Stroud. It's going to be the opposite where C.J. Stroud right. is going to be helping the young receivers. And that's what I was getting to. They don't need to be as good because C.J. Stroud is so good. He's going to make them better. Where last year, they made him better until he reached the level that he got to at the end where he was just like God tier. So, no, they don't have to be as good. They're still going to be amazing, though. Um, I think that there may be some struggles in the beginning because, you know, they're going to have to work on some things. But Stroud's going to get them the ball. And as long as they can catch it, that's fine. And the benefit of having so many is if one person can't catch it, you can throw somebody else out there. Absolutely. Um, and Jason Smith and Jig was always going to be open. So Yeah. And I think the thing is, like, wide receivers, in, in reality, it is not a position you need a dominant guy. Like, this is not the NFL. We have a yeah. dominant guy. But also, this is a in college, wide receiver is a, is a position where one dominant guy is enough. Yeah, and Jamison yeah. Williams did for Bama last year when yeah. their other wide receiver kept getting injured. Like I know some of the great teams of recent have had multiple. We've had multiple. LSU had multiple. Bama had multiple, and that's great. That makes you unstoppable. But there have been so many good teams with just one that have made it far. I mean, Clemson's never had more than one really good wide receiver. And I don't care what anyone says. They always had a good wide receiver and a good running back, and it was the same running back as he was there for 17 years. But, like, I don't like for whether it was injuries and other things like that. So I think they'll be fine. I think that the difference is are they 2019 LSU where they're unstoppable? Because, but I mean, we lost two games last year with the with the greatest wide receiver trio, college football. Yeah, man, yeah. So I don't think they need to be as good. I just think they need to be able to catch. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think. Like looking at the group as the receivers being as good as first round picks is unfair to the young receivers. But I think I think it's just I mean they're gonna put up stats, honestly. I think the run game's gonna be better too, so I think that'll help as well. 
I think for Ohio State to continue on an upward trend, no starting caliber wide receiver at Ohio State should ever be worse than a third round pick. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Like your I, worst, can your worst consistent like, receiver needs to be a third round pick. If Julian Fleming puts up 600 yards this season, I think he's a top three round pick off athleticism alone. Honestly, yeah. Like if you're relying on someone that's a fifth round pick, then the room, then the room has fallen off a little bit. Yeah. But not we're, all of them have long, to be first round picks. We're long past the days of the Austin Max and Benjamin Victors, and that's not to knock them. I liked them, but. They were good. The offense was not built for them. It was a trend of Ohio State recruiting players that they didn't know how to use. We have seen what this offense is capable of now, and I'm not going back. Just not doing it. Uh, All right. Next question. Uh, This one's kind of a loaded question. Uh, What if the Big Ten expanded differently in 2011? Uh, Actually, I kind of want to go back and I I, I shouted out myself. uh, I want to go back and shut the other ones out. I've got, uh, I think one was Megan Hussein was one, and then the other was uh, Meredith Hine. So those are the two would-have questions. Go check their articles out. Uh, and now this next one, uh, that's a one One of these two was that one. So what if Ohio State, or what if the Big Ten expanded differently in 2011? Uh, so that was the year they brought in Nebraska. I don't think it matters. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, Nebraska did – help in the brand recognition you know i think that's kind of the conversation now like tv markets versus college football brands you know you didn't get a great tv market in lincoln nebraska but you got a huge brand the next two expansions were tv market 1000 percent on the short deal high net for per year and then you get rutgers in maryland uh, i think before any of us were talking about it like realignment's always been a conversation topic you know and i think people seeing these new super conferences form are kind of like questioning it but like this was kind of always the direction the sport was heading you know ohio state took penn state i feel like at that time if notre dame was interested they would have took on notre dame as well uh like at the end of the day, you want big brands associated with your program. I know when Texas A&M joined the SEC, people thought it was this insane debacle for college football. And I don't even think anyone thinks about it anymore. Um, expand. If I was to start the expansion in 2011, I definitely would have tried to make the conference a little bit more national at first, honestly. Uh, I probably would have went West Coast and East Coast, but I probably wouldn't have gone Rutgers in Maryland. But Rutgers always interests me because you always want the New York City TV market because that's millions of televisions. Even if you don't have college football fans, they still have Big Ten Network on their cable boxes. But, yeah, I guess I don't know how they'd expand differently. I think the way they approached it was very reasonable, very level. And then I think despite people hating on Rutgers and Maryland for football, like you don't get the money that you have currently without those two schools. So expanding differently, if you could have added one team instead of Nebraska in 2011, who would you have added? Like just anyone or do they have to be realistic? Dream. I mean, 
I don't think that there's anyone that they would have added that would have been like really good at football. If we're being honest, yeah, like, honestly, my answer is do is UNC, and that would have helped the ba- the basketball product. But UNC, if and when they become in the Big Ten, is not going to be a good football program. Um, that's they have the potential to be. Yeah. Do I believe they're going to be? I don't know. Um, if so, I if I could have picked anyone, it probably would have been Texas. To me, that wasn't realistic. I mean, I guess you did say everyone, but I was thinking of things that like had some semblance yeah. of, of realism. Texas was never joining the Big Ten. But now that it's USC happened, now that it's happened, USC, UCLA, that, I mean, that would have been the dream back then, too. Uh, we talked about it, Miami. We talked about that in the Slack chat today. I'd like to see Miami there. You get into the Florida market there. I think that would have made less sense before Rutgers in Maryland, but because then you'd have four, like, 12 Midwestern schools and then all of a sudden you're out in Florida. But yeah, I, I think if you're really looking at it, it's a leveled approach, honestly. And I think they did exactly what you'd want your conference to do. You added a football brand and then you added two huge TV markets when that was incredibly important. And that's still important. I don't want anyone to say like TV markets aren't still important. Like it's a lot of people stuff. Yeah, like it's different because of the evaluations and streaming and things like that. But like let's be honest, how many football games do you get through streaming? Oh, you don't all? get that many. ESPN Plus sucks. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I get almost all of them cuz I Well, pay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sick of what? Cuz I pay for all the apps to get them. So what apps are you watching football on? Hulu TV doesn't count because that's TV. Yeah. So I'm not, I guess technically you counted as streaming, but that's TV. Like, I'm not counting. Like, if you don't have YouTube TV, Hulu TV, like, if you don't have a live, some sort of cable, you are not watching games. You're not. ESPN Plus doesn't get that many games. The Fox Sports app doesn't get that many games. Um, the Big Ten app is garbage. I don't know if the ACC, SEC, or any of them even have apps. If you don't have live streaming like it's I guess technically it's streaming but if you don't have cable of some sort and YouTube TV does still do cable subscription fees because as you and I know we lost we thought we were going to lose ESPN for a day or two they've lost other things because of the price and, and cable and things like that like so those are those markets still matter for YouTube TV. I mean, I imagine it's the same for Hulu too. I mean, if I go outside of, if I go outside of Columbus on YouTube TV, the first thing that comes up is, "Did you move? Or are you here temporarily?" Because you yeah. can't use YouTube TV outside of your market for more than a couple of days. So it's not the same as it was in 2011, but it does still matter. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and I think that's something. So. I mean, I understand why the Big Ten expanded with all three of the teams they did from 2011 to then adding Maryland and Rutgers to now. And Maryland was a good basketball program before they came to the Big Ten. I just don't know what happened. Yeah, the one thing that I'll say, and again, you know, I guess it depends on if you're talking about true dream or realistic. I don't think conferences going truly national was realistic until now. I don't think Ohio State adding Miami – 
Texas, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. I don't think any of that was realistic until recently. I think UNC was, though. Like, that's not that far outside the Big Ten footprint. The real answer would be Notre Dame. Ohio State, yeah. and, like, the Big Ten and Notre Dame have been playing this game a little too long. And way too realistic. Makes, what's that say? It makes way too much sense. Yeah. Way and too much sense. I also think Notre Dame's a non-serious program, which is why they've avoided the Big Ten for so long. Yeah. Because, like, putting your they, other sports I, in the ACC is stupid. If you were no, going to do that, you should have done that in the Big Ten. They've been yeah, avoiding the Big Ten because the they're a non-serious program, and that is yeah, just what exactly. that is. We talked about it last week, the ACC non-serious conference. All right, uh, all right. Let's get moving to the next one. I got two more. I added one secretly, uh, one just to make me laugh. Uh, but this one also will make me laugh. What if Ohio State doesn't start recruiting the OL better? That one I came up with myself. I'll be pissed. That's my answer. I'll be pissed, and they won't win another national championship. They won't. You gotta have well, the, hall the thing. Being winning a national championship this year is going to require them to at some point be able to block Will Anderson so uh, CJ Stroud can breathe so yeah no they're just not going to and then the last what if question like what if Ohio State's just like legitimately bad this season like they're six and six yeah, no, it's what are you living in? <laughs> like, it, it's what if, like Marvel, what if here? We're in the multiverse. Like, there is a multiverse. There's infinite universes. One of these universes has a bad Ohio State football team. Ryan, in Ryan Day gets fired, and Brian Hartline's the next head coach. Yeah, if Ohio State's bad this year, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself because that is what a lot of my identity relies on. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Like honestly, I don't even know if I could handle Ohio State doing like a Clemson nine and three season last year. I would lose my mind. That's where I'm at. Uh yeah. All right. That was a non serious question. Uh smooth transition here. Let's get into a non serious conference now for our conference preview of the week. Pac twelve. And we're recording this at night, so Pac twelve after dark. Uh yeah, I, I, I did. I, I treated this with some non-serious research as well. Uh, it's going to be fun, though. I like the Pac-12. I'm a West Coast guy from California. I've always kind of been closer to these schools, so I, I've always kind of followed them closely. Uh, but it's, I mean, I, I, I don't want to start with the biggest storylines, but I want I, we should start with this one. Like, the Pac-12 is in a very peculiar place. They are about to have a season with two members who are leaving it in the immediate future. Um, they have a bunch of teams where I really could see them going three and nine or nine and three. Like, I feel like there's a reasonable, huge uh, standard deviation for a lot of these programs as potential records. There's quite a few new coaches. There's quite a few coaches looking to get over the hump. There's quite a few, like, it feels like the Pac-12 is filled with coaches either starting a new job or trying to finally get over the hump. So it's like, what are we doing here? And I think this is a huge reason. And going back to why the Pac-12's dead, Larry Scott was the worst sports commissioner in the history of sports commissioning. And George Kliakov jumped onto a, the Titanic like after it was already underwater. <laughs> so it's really like... This conference is going to be fun to watch. It is always incredible to watch. But what is it at this point? It's a dead man walking. It's it's a boat with holes in it. It's just not it anymore. The conference of champions. It's 
Like, there's a million analogies to use, but what is it to you at this point? I mean, I'll just quite simply say the literally the only thing that saves the Pac-12, in my opinion, is the Big 12 commissioner deciding to step down. If Bob Boldly wasn't stepping down, he would have the cachet to take these teams, and they may already have announced that they were leaving and going into the um, the Big 12. With a new commissioner, I just don't know if they have that cachet, so maybe they survive. I'm hearing, which I just think is stupid, they're, I'm hearing that they're like, doing some potentially doing some broadcast media rights deal with the ACC because the Pac-12 network has failed. So essentially ACC network would go to the West Coast and would broadcast Pac-12 games. So you'd be watching watching Pac-12 games on the ACC network. And supposedly that would also bring the ACC some money. So that kind of supposedly would pacify some of their people because they'd make a little bit more money. But there's really no good route that they can go because even if like even if they don't break up right now are you going to even if it's 10 years right let's say they sign another grant of rights it's 10 years are you telling me that Oregon and Washington are not applying to the Big 10 after 10 years like you're always going to be wondering about when these teams are going to leave Absolutely. And, you know, I was on We talked about it a few weeks ago. I was like when I one of the questions was like favorite teams that aren't in like Utah is one of my favorite teams. And I've like literally I lived there for a little bit. I watched them climb all this way, you know, from the Mountain West or from the WAC to the Mountain West to the Pac-12 to winning the Pac-12 to playing in the Rose Bowl. Like that's like 20 year dynasty mode, like dream to do with any school. And they did it. And now their conference is dying. The conference they worked so hard to get to. And that that sucks, man. And I think, you know, Colorado left the Big 12. And now guess where they're probably going to end up back at? The Big 12. The Big 12. And I, I think that's – honestly, I'd say Colorado and Utah were more of a logical fit for the Big 12 to begin with than the Pac-12. But, yeah, it's just in a weird place. Uh, and, I, I mean, I'm still going to watch a lot of Pac-12 games. I like to watch the – like 11:30 starts. I, I enjoy that watching college football till two in the morning. Yeah, I put them on when I'm writing my articles or doing the Ohio State recap. Yeah, so it's a good time. I, I think it's still going to be an incredibly entertaining conference. It always is. There is not much separating the worst team in the Pac-12 to the best team, like compared to some other conferences. Like, I, I could legitimately the Pac-12's charm. Yeah, and, you know, every single week, Cal can go in and beat a team like USC, and USC can go and lose to that 3-9 and nine team who, or, like, 1-5 team who's struggling, and then that team could end up being bowl eligible. Like, that crazy stuff happens in the Pac-12. So, I, I think without getting into this further, let's take a look at our Pac-12 preview. The contenders. All right, so we'll start with the first one we got. Uh, we both have Utah. Uh, I think that's a responsible choice. I think we both made a responsible choice on that one. Uh, yeah, I agree. I don't see – I mean, Utah still has a quarterback. They have the running back. They have the defense. Um, they have the coach. There's nothing – there's no logical step back that they should take, right? Yeah. Like, like you lose uh, – they lost that linebacker uh, with Devin Lloyd, who's incredible. But I yeah. think Kyle Whittingham's done a great job of – 
reloading and developing that position. So I think looking at it from that, I think you're good there. But uh, I, I like Cam Rising. I, he gave us a lot of trouble. He's a gritty dude. Yep. I know Brit's not usually the first thing I want from my quarterback, but at the end of the day, it helps a lot. Uh, yeah, Tavion Thomas, one of the best running backs in the Pac-12 return. So offensively, they shouldn't take any steps back, if I'm being real. They have that tight end uh, who's really good as well, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, he was really big. He was a big transfer target for a lot of teams. He was in the portal, ended up staying at Utah. But, yeah, I think this team, like last year the identity was defense. This year I think the identity is going to be the offense and then their secondary. So I think you look at them top to bottom, they have the least holes in the Pac-12 right now. Yeah. Maybe Oregon, but Oregon doesn't count because they have a new coach. Yeah, and that's like uh, I mean, you have, they build a great roster at Oregon. Now we could move to Oregon now because that's your other team you've got here. Uh, what makes you think they're a contender? Honestly, I like Dan Lanning. I think Dan Lanning is a serious coach. I think he's continued the recruiting for Cristobal, and I like I, him. I like Lanning. I think Lanning is going to have the Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley effect. We won't know if he's a good coach until it's year three or four because the roster is so good. The pieces are there that there's almost no way he should be bad. And he's a good defensive coach. So at nothing else, they should be able to ride the defense. So I think it's going to take some time to find out if he's a good coach. It seems like he can recruit. They got some, they got some good recruits. They um, stole that offensive lineman from, um, from USC, I can't think of his name. The guy that reclassified, um, they stole him from USC. They've gotten some guys, um, so I, I think that that is why I, I say them. You, I just think you have to be a bad coach for them to fall off one year after Mario. Yeah. And I understand that Mario is a good coach. This is not disparaging Mario uh, or anything like that. This is crediting him for what he built there. But I just think that they have the roster um, to do it. So Yeah, 10-2 regular season last year. Uh, I, I really think, you know, looking at it, they're not replacing a lot. Travis Dye left for USC. Uh, but I think they he left for a reason. And, you know, Bo Nix, Bo Nix is where it starts and stops. Like, I think Bo Nix is talented, but. I, God, I don't know. They have that really, don't they have, isn't Ty Thompson supposed to be good? Like, is yeah, it Bo Nix's job? He's a freshman. I think it's Bo Nix's job. He was a freshman last year, wasn't he? Because he's well, the guy that they should have started over the old guy. Uh, no, they, I, I don't know about that. I think Ty Thompson, but. I don't, think, I don't think they would have bought Bro, Bo Nix in. I, I said Bro Nix. That's a nickname he has. But I don't think they would have brought, brought Bo Nix in. Goddamn. Uh, I don't think they would have brought Bo Nix in if they were confident in Ty Thompson getting in there right away. I don't know if I agree with that because I don't think they saw Ty Thompson before they brought in Bo Nix. He got the job and Bo Nix transferred there. Because he got hired in December or whenever, and Bo Nix was there for spring camp. So, like, he would have never even seen Ty Thompson. Yeah. I mean, 
But at the, I, I, I don't think you I, – I mean, in a first-year coach, do you think a first-year coach is going to bank on an inexperienced coordinator? I mean, the Georgia defense coordinator seemed Bo Nix. Well, that's the point that I'm making. I think I, – I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that Bo Nix is guaranteed the job because you bring him because you know him and he's yeah. in the portal, but that you don't know the other guy. So if the other guy is good, he could win the job from Bo before yeah, or during the season. That's he, why I, don't, I just don't know that I would say it starts and stops with him because I'm not guaranteed he's the starter at the end of the year. Well, yeah, and if he starts at the beginning of the year and then he's not the starter at the end of the year, we know what happened with that season. I mean – I'm just not putting my future on Bo Nix, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But yeah. either way, of the, the teams, I think that they have the second they, best option. And with the Pac-12 getting rid of um, – with the Pac-12 getting rid of divisions, I'm pretty sure it's going to – I mean, they didn't get rid of divisions. They got rid of whatever. Yeah, However they they're doing it, it's a really weird setup because they still technically have divisions – but they're going to do the one and two for the championship game. I think it's going to be Oregon and Utah in the championship game. Uh, yeah, rematch. That'd be fun. Uh, I think they have the best roster in the Pac-12, uh, top to bottom. So I think that really, like from a recruiting standpoint, they have the best roster. So that's where I'm at with them. And yeah, I put USC in the contenders. Surprise, people. But guess what? It's part. That was espionage. This is the Lincoln Riley hate show. And it's starting. Uh, they should be contenders. They have the best quarterback. They have a ton of transfers and offensive. They have the best quarterback in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 does not have great quarterbacks. And Caleb Williams is better than them. Uh, maybe Cam Ward. I like Cam Ward. Uh, but he not, had, I've watched Caleb Williams play. I think he's talented. I don't know if he's a good quarterback, and I think those are two different things. Yeah, I think, I think he's severely overrated. I would take another quarterback in the Pac-12 over him. Right, maybe Jay's Delora, but I don't trust. I, mean, I, guess you, I guess you did specifically say the Pac-12. Maybe he is the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Uh, I don't know how much that says, though. I think he's overrated. Yeah, and that's part of my Lincoln Riley. Uh, that's why I, I don't think they're gonna win it. But I, I, it's hard because I don't think USC has the offensive line. I don't think they have the defensive line to win it. But I do think they have the skill talent to be incredibly dangerous. And that's that should I, I don't think there's a lot of teams in the Pac twelve who on their if they have a bad day can slow down what USC has offensively. And that's where I'm at. And a lot of Pac twelve teams have bad days. So I'm putting them there. I wanna watch them fail. And that's why they're there. If they're a contender and they don't reach that, then I was right. And I'm excited for that opportunity. I think you're hedging your bets. I don't think they're a contender at all. Yeah, I am very I mean, much a dark horse contender, but there is the nothing in me that's predicting them to be Oregon or I think yeah. it's going to take so much longer than people think. All right. So, yeah, use the code word dark horses. Uh, they're your dark horse. Uh, I, it's probably for the reasons I said a lot of skill, talent, decent defense like in the back part of it small defensive line but overall i think i just think you can't like it's a pack 12 if you've got if if caleb williams is as good as people have assumed him to be they should be their definitive dark horse for sure 
Yeah, and I don't think he's bad, but I don't think – I mean, people are predicting him to be a better quarterback than C.J. Stroud. Yeah, and he's not younger Stroud, especially at this point. But no. he's good, and if he gets to that level, which he's got the t- arm talent, I think he's a great athlete, he's just got to get better at the actual quarterbacking thing. And like when things aren't going well, I think he struggled with that last year at Oklahoma. But, hey, that that's what happens when your coach is halfway out the door. So – can't really fully put the blame on him. And that, I mean, that's a big reason people are excited for Spencer Rattler this year because. I disagree with that, too. I don't think Lincoln Riley was halfway out the door to USC brought the Brinks truck. I think they did everything that they tried to do and they just weren't that good. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish we knew like that. Nobody thought, nobody thought and or knew that Lincoln was leaving, including him. He wasn't looking for jobs. It was just a USC job. I think that they were exactly what they were going to be. And that was just. Decent. Yeah, and it was a lucky exit that USC gave him a career parachute, honestly. And I think that he, I think he's a good quarterback. I don't want anyone to get that mixed up. No, let me reword that. I think he's a good player. I'm not sure that he's a good quarterback. I don't know if he's good at the things that make you a good quarterback. I think he's an amazing athlete. And he I think those things only take you so far. He really, uh, he, he does remind me. He's to me. He's like a less talented Kyler Murray, honestly. Like in college. And what did Kyler do? Not he, win a national yeah, championship. Yeah, so. win a national championship. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. I think he's got the he's got the arm strength, but I Kyler played with a lot more touch. He was a lot more accurate, and he did not fold when games. Like I would just put it this way: He's not going to be the number one pick in the draft when he comes out. Yeah. I think that's all. That's what. That's pretty much. And you're not gonna. That's why they're dark horse. My dark horses are. I. I, I really. I could have picked six teams. Here, uh, I picked Washington because I really like their coach. I like Kayla DeBoer. I think he's got a really fun offensive style to him. And I think defensively, their roster, despite what Jimmy Lake tried to do to it should have the young talent to develop late in the season. And looking at it, they got Kent State, Portland State, first two games, sorry. Uh, No, that's a loss. uh, That's a loss. Kent State's coming in and getting that dub. I would love it. but And that would actually help me because I I don't think there's any way a coach can't come back and get better from that. Thank you. You know, like if you're in your first year at a Power Five program and you lose to a Mac school, and we I love the first Kent State's getting the dub. Uh, Portland State they should house regardless, and then they've got and then Tuck is coming. So first three games are rough, but those don't matter when it comes to conference play, as we've seen in the Pac-12 almost exclusively. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they're a dark horse. I, I have no good reasons. I like their quarterback. I like their I like Sam Huberd. I, I don't know if he's going to be the starter, but I like him. Michael Panics Jr. is there. I don't know if he's going to be the starter, but I liked him when he was in Indiana before he started getting hurt and being inconsistent. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they have the best, arguably the most talented defensive player in the conference in Zion. Uh, it's not that I don't know his name. It's that I can't say his name. Tupuola, Tupuola Fatui. Uh, I did my best. Sorry, Zion. But he's why. 
And then my other one is Stanford. I really like David Shaw. 11 years at Stanford, 93 and 45. He's been having some trouble as of late, and this is why he's also my hot seat coach. They lost six straight games last year after starting three and two. It was incredibly terrible. It was so bad, but they found their quarterback in the second half. They found a really fun offense, and they returned. What is? Uh, let me see. They returned 10 out of 11 starters on offense. So they should at least be consistent. And I, I think consistency pays in the Pac-12. So I've yeah. got them at Dark Horse. There's no hope for Stanford, in, in yeah. my opinion. Um, I think Dave it's Shaw's be- a great coach, which means they're not going to fire him, which means they're just going to stay downhill. Yep. Uh, which is hey, that's fine. I really like David Shaw, and I, I, I've got we got coaches on the hot seat soon. But uh, let's do let's go rapid fire players to watch. Uh, all right, so you want to get us started there? Um, yeah, my so it's funny that I just like you know supposedly talked a lot of trash. I actually do like Caleb Williams. I just don't like how overrated he is because I think that stuff matters and like people take that as like gospel. So um, I think it's possible to accurately rate people and like not be negative on them. But I do still think it's interesting because like you said, he's talented and he's going into his second year. And so I think he should get better. He is a very exciting player to watch. Whether you feel like it was legal or not, he had one of the most interesting plays in college football. Um, I just like – I have a high standard for quarterbacks, which is fine um, because that's just my opinion. So I don't think he's a bad player at all. I think he's very exciting. I think USC goes as far as – they can with him and I think that I'm going to enjoy watching him play but most importantly and this is just me in general I'm slow to come around on people because I hate when people are like overhyped I'm I'm excited Caleb Williams represents a lot of things for me he represents if Lincoln Riley is actually a good quarterback coach because he has some very real flaws that need to be worked out and Lincoln Riley did not work them out with Spencer Rattler. So he record he, you know, he shows me if Lincoln Riley is actually what he says he is. I'm very interested in him because I want to see his progression as a second year player, right? You what did you do this summer? Did you work out? Did you get into the weight room? Did you watch film? Like what what did your summer consist of? Um I mean, I, yeah, I'm just I'm very intrigued by him, even though my earlier you know, thing was yeah. more. You know, I think it's safe to be intrigued by him and then still skeptical. Like that's fair. That's what makes him an interesting player to watch. Honestly, yeah. Uh, my first guy, Cameron Ward. Uh, sorry, Cameron Ward. He's a transfer from the University of Incarnate Ward, one of the fastest rising like lower division programs. Rose all the way up to the FCS. He was elite there. Uh, Washington State's going to be an interesting football team. Uh, they lost Jaden Delora, replaced him with one of the most valued quarterback transfers in the market. I'm excited to see him. I always am curious when those FCS quarterbacks take that jump up uh, because sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And that's really where I'm at with it. I think he's a guy where I, I'm just going to be excited to watch a Washington State game because I'm like, this guy has some hype behind him. 
Uh, he's from the the FCS, like Vernon Adams at Oregon. He was supposed to be a stud, ended up not working out. Will Cam Ward fall in that category? Or will he be on the other side of that, where he's a good player? Yeah, I, I think that's going to be – I don't know much about him, but he's on the list, so I'm definitely going to be, like, watching him when I look for Pac-12 after dark. Yeah. Um, the next guy on my list, I made up for having mainly quarterbacks on my list last week by having, like, all defensive guys on my list this week is Noah Sewell. I mean, I'm the sicko that still cares about linebacker play, and that's fine. Um, as you can tell with what happened with – Devin Lloyd. Linebackers are not super valued in the NFL draft, but I don't care. Like, I mean, dude's a stud. I, I just want to watch. Uh, I want to watch him play. I want to see, uh, you know, what he does this year and how high he can get drafted. Um, also, as kind of all of Oregon did, he dealt with a lot of injuries last year. And Dan Lanning is a better defensive coach than Mario Cristobal. So when you give him that level of talent, I just very interesting to see like what they do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like Noah Sewell. I mean, he gave us, he gave Ohio state trouble. So yeah. I'll definitely always watch for guys who have given Ohio state trouble in the past. Yeah. And the world knows how I feel about a hundred tackle guys. And I think yeah. that he could be a hundred tackle guy. I mean, it's going to be hard. Because the ne- the ne- another guy on my list is going to be fighting him for it, but like for sure, yeah, he has the talent for sure. Uh, my next guy on my list is Corey Foreman at USC. Uh, all this recruiting hype, all of that stuff. Uh, if Ohio- if USC is going to be any good this year, it's going to be a player like Corey Foreman living up to the recruiting hype. And as you heard, Jordan, he are he's. But uh, I don't think he should went to USC. I think he really he stayed home. But I don't think you should have went there. I think there were plenty of other programs who were could have much more utilized that talent. I'm not even saying Ohio State. I just think whether it was Alabama, whether it was Georgia, whether it was Clemson, like you had three options that probably could have legitimately prepared you for the next level. And USC, I don't trust Alex Grinch to do anything. So I think Corey Foreman is who people thought Kayvon Thibodeau was in this current uh, this current draft. Like the guy who like doesn't really care about football, cares more about his brand and his image, doesn't really work hard, like all that kind of stuff. Like all the negative things they said about T- Kayvon Thibodeau. Because I think he was that is actually who Corey Foreman is. Yeah, I he's not even started. Like, has he even started for them? I honestly didn't watch many USC games he didn't last year. Play like that is. Isn't this his second year there? Yeah, second year. He should be a legitimate. Wait, wait, this is his second year. Or last year was his second. This, year? Was his, this is his second year. Ugh. Uh, Maybe I'm a little I, too hard on him if this is only his second year. I thought this was his third, but still. He needs to be better. If USC wants to win, they need a player like him to emerge. All right, I like your next guy. I like him a lot. Ohio State fans will love this guy. My next guy is Clark Phillips, the third. Um, it's rare that you find yourself rooting for guys who don't who decide not to go to Ohio State, but like deciding not to go to Ohio State to go to Utah is a choice. And he is a dog. Like, I mean, he has put in the time, put in the effort, became a a legit number one corner. Um, He'll be a first round pick. That's my, that's my shot on that one. Yeah. I mean, you could say that like him, 
I mean, obviously not him single-handedly, but Utah winning recruiting battles with players like him is not a coincidence that it coincides with them finding finally winning the Pac-12 and being like the team to beat coming in. And I think he's going to have a really good year, and I think he's going to challenge for um, consensus All-American. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch him. Yeah, I like him. He's awesome. He gave Ohio State a little bit of trouble, and then the second half happened. But it wasn't his fault. No, not not at all. Uh, the next guy on my list is a personal one. Uh, as a proud Saddleback football alum, a junior college in Southern California, I have to give him a special shout-out, Chance Nolan at the other OSU, Oregon State University. Threw for like 2,500 yards, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, nothing crazy, but... You know, he's part of a rebuilding project at Oregon State and, you know, Pac-12 North's wide open. Uh, if he could beat Oregon, that'd be incredible. And I'm going to be watching because if I hear that saddleback tie, it's just like in the NFL. If I hear like Ohio State, like, oh, yeah, I'll put on a Washington Commanders game. Oh, I'll put on a Tennessee Titans game because of Mike Vrabel. Like you have that little tie to it. I'm going to watch. So that's a personal one. Nothing really crazy there. That's fair. My last one is also a linebacker. Insert everything that I said previously about Noah Sewell and just put in the name Justin Fluff. Yeah, he might be he might be the best linebacker in the conference, honestly. Country? Like, maybe. I'm not there I mean, yet. Technically hey, okay. Yeah, he's, he's, he's talented. Anderson is a linebacker, so it doesn't count. But he's really not. He's a defensive Ooh, linebacker. Game record, That's a, about a, traditional a, linebackers. If we're talking about they weren't too lazy to give them another name, off-ball linebackers, he may be the best linebacker in the country. Yeah. Because we're a defensive lineman. I don't care that he plays technically linebacker. He's an edge rusher. Yeah, I, I think I'll be watching Oregon games, and I don't really, really, really do this. Uh, I definitely was a fan of the Big 12, 65, 56 games, but I'll watch Oregon. I'm going to be excited to watch them this year with their defense. It's going to be fun. Uh, I got one more guy. Zion, Tupiola, Fatui, Washington. I, I mean, he's awesome. He's, he's a freak athlete. He's everything that Washington's defense had become to known under Chris Peterson and then Jimmy Lake, you know, we already talked about it. He dropped a bomb on the program. Uh, the once great Washington program. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get, let's roll through this. Coaches on the hot seat. I liked yours. No clue. Explain uh, it. I, yeah, I, like, I, have no idea. I have no idea because I don't know what the expectations of any of these programs are. The guys that you listed, could be on the hot seat, maybe yeah. should be on the hot seat. But then like, I'm reading through the Athlon sports thing and all they're saying is like, you know, people like where this guy's going. They like the pro- they like where the program's headed. They're building towards something. Harm should have like- already been fired. And Harm should have already been fired and hasn't. I just don't know that any of them are on the hot seat. Like, I, th- yeah. I-, I could really see the Pac-12 not fire a single coach this year. Yeah. Especially because there are a decent amount of new coaches. So the ones that I just think, like, yeah, should Cal hire a coach? Maybe. If they're are really they bad, will yeah. be fired. I don't know. I don't believe it. Should Stanford fire its coach? Probably. Are they going to? Absolutely. I thought about this when we were talking about it. Uh, so I'll get it in mind because I've got three here. David Shaw, 
I said if Stanford cares about football, but I'm changing that. If Stanford cares about David Shaw, they will fire him. <laughs> give him a, give him a chance at least somewhere else. Uh, Justin Wilcox, I was really excited for him when he got to Cal. He had a good year, had a really bad year, had a good year, had a really bad year. Uh, what's he going to be? Don't know. Hot seat. Herm Edwards, like you said, should have been fired years ago. Violations after violations. And every single it's a mob movie. It's a bad mob too, because the fall guys are always obvious when it's Arizona State. It's usually some Yeah, and it sucks for those guys who trusted Herm Edwards with their coaching career and are getting fired because of like stuff that was obviously just being let fly because there's no real leadership there. I put non-serious coach in the notes. Herm Edwards is a brand. He's not a serious football coach. And he's not a good brand. He wasn't even that good of a coach when he was in the NFL. (laughs) So, he was good on ESPN. I liked him there, but that's not coaching football. So, yeah, I think you're right. It feels like of the 12 teams, I feel like half of them have new coaches. Uh, of the other six, you really do not know what their goals are, what their expectations are, and that's hard to encapsulate when you're putting a hot seat under them. And then uh, our in-depth biggest storylines. Let's do this around the horn uh, style, the big finish or whatever they call it. Um, we'll run through it. Um, death of the Pac-12. How are you feeling about it? Where are you at? Conference is still going to be fun to watch. I mean, like I said earlier, I don't know if it dies because the Big 12 has a new commissioner. Yeah, I could think that's die. Only, I think that's the only thing saving it. Might live. George Kliakoff from Vegas. We'll see what he's got in him. Uh, you got to know when to hold him, no one to fold him. That's back to him right now. Uh, League and Riley in year one. Will they? All right, let's just do this one. Over, under, nine wins. I want to say under, but they have the easiest schedule known to man. So push. I think they go nine and three. Yeah, I, I, that's where I'm at, too. I should have said nine and a half. We would have took the under just so we could have said we had the under. Uh, can Utah take another step forward nationally? Uh, you highlighted the Utah versus Florida game week one. If they win this game, I'm ready to start taking Utah seriously as a s- second or third tier national program. I'm, I don't know if I'm that ready because I think that Florida is a non-serious program right now. But I think it would mean a lot. It'd be very interesting. I think that they should win it because, I mean, does Florida have a better roster than them? They they have a quarterback. They have a better coach. It's good, but is he really good? I don't know. Like it's hard to say. If Jack Miller Miller starts, or uh, Florida by a million. Yeah, I I like that. Florida, for all it's worth, with Dan Mullen. He was a really good offensive coach. He got the most out of some very bad offensive rosters for his time there. And I don't know if Billy Napier has that in him. I think Anthony Richardson's also overhyped. Yeah, AR-15. That is a terrible nickname at this point in America. Yeah. Uh, All right, Arizona and Arizona State. What the hell? What are we doing I don't care. Just go to the Big 12. 
I don't even. Jed Fish, like the most boring coaching hire of all time, and Herm Edwards, the worst coaching hire of all time at this point. But Jed Fish will actually turn them around and make them. I think Jed Fish is a serious person, and that's what they needed—a serious yeah. person. Arizona State. Uh, I like Jaden Delora. Oh, we're seeing Arizona. It doesn't matter. It's they're not going to win anything. So. Uh, the North, new coaches in reset expectations. Who do you got winning the North? You think it's Oregon? Yeah, I had to think about who was in the North. Yeah, I think it's Oregon too. But the divisions don't matter because they're doing the two best. But like, yeah, they they are going to be the best of the Northern programs. Yes. So, but I, I'm calling Oregon State's upset. Former boy, Saddleback, go Gauchos. Oh, go Bobcats now. Sorry, they changed the name. That was offensive. Uh, and that's it for me. I know I put final thoughts there, but we had a long show. There wasn't a lot of news this week to just kind of throw in a random one. Uh, so, yeah, you guys can follow me at Buck Off Pod, or not me. You can follow the show at Buck Off Pod, and you can follow me at Chris Rennie CFB. Jordan, where do we find you? You can find me at Jordan W330. Yeah, anything, any last words for the audience before we go? No. It's getting close to the season. All right, what conference next week? Week 12. Let's roll with it. That's it. You're here to hear first. Big 12 next week, and hopefully the football gods bless us again. And we've got some commitment news to talk about. And that's it for today. See you guys next week.